Coming Out of the Kitchen, a podcast for women about women. As of today, American women still do not have equal rights in the U.S. Constitution. But today, we are here to talk about Black History Month. And before we do that, I have to remind you that I couldn't do this without Anchor. Anchor is the platform I use to create my podcasts. It's totally free to use. You just go to anchorfm.com and download the app to your smartphone or computer. It's free. And did I mention you can earn money when you use Anchor? Anchor has many different options to help you create your podcast. And once you're done creating your podcast, you can edit it, add some bling, and upload your podcast to seven different podcast listening sites in addition to your smartphone sites. So, what are you waiting for? Go to anchorfm.com, download your app, and get started today. Till then, I am here with my friend Mo. And we are going to talk about Black History Month. And she's going to start us off with, I guess, what What did you say? Is it the creator of Black History Month? What have you got, Mo? <clears throat> okay. Um, I was looking at Black History Month. And, yes, we were looking for women since this is a woman's podcast. And I came across a gentleman who actually started Black History Carver G. Woodson, he was born in December 19th, 1875 in Virginia. He died in 1950 in Washington, D.C. at the age of 75. He was born to former slaves. He was the fourth of seven children. He started high school at age 20 because he had to work to help his family get by. Well, yeah, a lot of... A lot of people did that. In those days, yeah. Yes. But when he started high school, he finished four years in less than two years. He was the second African-American to earn a doctorate from Harvard Harvard in 1912. He wrote multiple books on African... Who was the first, do you know? Uh Uh-huh. W.E.B. Du Bois was the first. Yeah. The first black person to win a uh, to earn a degree from Harvard. Yes. That's cool. A doctorate from Harvard. A doctorate. A doctorate. Yes. Okay. He wrote multiple books on the African American history. He believed that racism could be overcome through education. He is an a historian, an author, a journalist, and a founder for the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. He was one of the first scholars to study the history of the African diaspora. What exactly is diaspora? Diaspora is the dispersion of any people from their original homeland. In 1926, he was the Carter Woodson became the first person to petition for a designated time when the history and accomplishments of black Americans would be highlighted. He initially intended for it to be one week where public schools would teach students about black history. That's from NPR. In what time period are we in? In 1926. 1926, he wanted it to be taught in schools for the, just for that week. Was that was the he petitioned for the initiative to do that for one week for one in week February. to let students know about Black history accomplishments. You know, recognize people in all professions. Did we discuss why he wanted? 
Um, I think or is it, that later in your notes? No, that uh, I think a lot of it was that as his background as an author, a historian, a journalist. I don't know when he started being the author, the historian. Uh, in 1916, he was one. He was the founder of the Journal of Negro History publication, and he had been called the father of Black history because, as a historian, he had looked recorded. This initiative uh, that he wanted for the Time for Black History grew into acceptance over the years. It took several years. And by the late 1960s, it had expanded into the entire month. Now, when he was doing it was when he petitioned for the initiative to do this. And in 1960s, what? It, the whole initiative had, had expanded from just that one week into black history being the whole month. Forty years? He had asked for the second week and the reason he wanted to do the second week of February was so it would coincide with the birthdays of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, yep. the Emancipation Proclamation, yep. freed the slaves. Fed Frederick Douglass was a big promoter of the civil rights of black people. So that was why he wanted it, you know, the second week of February. Since 1976, every U.S. president has recognized the month of February as Black History Month. Other countries, such as the United Kingdom and Canada, also devote a month to celebrating black history. The U.S. President Gerald R. Ford was the first to officially recognize Black History Month during the country's 1976 bicentennial. The Association for Study of African American Life and History selects a new theme for the month every year. 2022 theme is Black Health and Wellness. Like I said, I know that we are a women's podcast, but I thought it was just significant that it well, was a thing, man, a black man. Here's what I want to say about that. Frederick Douglass did a lot, but if you dig into the history of Frederick Douglass, and he did a lot. I'm not dissing him at all. Right. The women behind him did most of it. Most of it. Yes. And he behind every great man is a lot of women. <laughs> Strong women. Yes. I mean, no disrespect for men, but I'm just telling you, women put you where you are. <laughs> it's just yes. so seems. Okay, so in the Springfield Newsleader, that's Springfield, Missouri. We have a newspaper, the Springfield Newsleader. Tuesday, February 1st, 2022, the Associated Press ran an article, or the Springfield Leader ran an article from the Associated Press. Historically, black schools face threats. So, half a dozen historically black universities in five states and the District of Columbia responded to bomb threats. Monday, January 31, 2022. Let's let that sink in. Many colleges went into, quote, lockdown, end quote, for some time. Albany State University, Southern University, and A&M College, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the University in Maryland, Howard University, Delaware State University, Bethune, Cookman University in Florida, and more universities since I've taken these notes have been affected. Uh, several in Arkansas have been affected. 
they have received bomb bomb threats. This is pretty kind of pathetic that they're receiving that, the threats at all. Why? I, I mean, it's yeah. disgusting, in I my agree. opinion. Mm -hmm. Who is behind them? Do well, they know yet? They have not stated, but I'm pretty sure we can all guess. But I mean, they have not said who's behind it, so. I guess we shouldn't legally say who my assumption would be, but it just seems kind of odd that as of January 31, 2022. How many universities and colleges have received bomb threats? Well, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, and then there's been a couple more since. So I'd be, I would just say up to 10. It's probably. But they're all black universities. They're and black colleges. universities. Yes. It disrupts those 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds' 22, lives. 22, 23, 24, yeah. I mean, can you imagine your son or your grandchild being of that age and they have to go into lockdown because... Because of the color of their skin, yes. It's pretty disgusting. In this time, yes. You would think that we have moved forward more than what we have. Anyway, this is Black History Month. I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's pretty disgusting that people are actually doing that. And so we are talking about historical women and men who... Attributed a lot of things to our nation. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Okay, so let's talk about Coretta Scott King. She was an author, activist, civil rights leader, advocate for African American equality a leader for civil rights movement in the 1960s, and the wife of Martin Luther King, Jr. She was born April 27, 1927. She met her husband, Martin Luther, while attending graduate school in Boston. Coretta King often incorporated music into her civil rights work. Years after MLK's assassination in 1968, Coretta took on the leadership of the struggle for racial equality, and she founded the King Center and fought to make MLK's birthday a national holiday, which she accomplished November 2, 1983. Coretta then advocated for LGBTQ rights. Coretta King, Coretta Scott King, died January 30, 2006. Powerful woman, that Coretta. But here's another powerful black woman for Black History Month. Alberta Christine Williams King, born September 13, 1904. The only surviving child of Jenny Celeste Williams, Pastor Adam Daniel Williams. Alberta was a black educator, instrumentalist, administrator, wife of Martin Luther King Sr., whose real name was Michael King, but he changed it to Martin Luther King Sr. Alberta was the mother to three of King's children. Daughter, Willie Christine King, Martin Luther King Jr., and Alfred Daniel Williams King. Alberta met Martin Luther King Sr. prior to leaving to Hampton after graduating. She announced her engagement to Martin Luther King Sr. at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Her father, at one time, was the pastor there. She taught for a brief time prior to their Thanksgiving Day wedding in 1926. So she taught school prior to the wedding. Then she had to quit teaching because the school board prohibited married women from teaching. 
She continued her studies while raising their children, receiving a BA in 1938. She founded the Ebenezer Choir and served as the organist from 1932 to 1972. She served as organizer and president of the Ebenezer Women's Committee from 1950 to 1962. By the end of this period, both Martin Luther King Sr. and Martin Luther King Jr. were joint pastors of the church. June 30, 1974, 69-year-old Alberta King was shot and killed as she sat at the church organ. Marcus Wayne Chenault, a 23-year-old black man from Ohio who had adopted the black Hebrew Israelites theology, Chenault originally wanted to kill Jesse James but canceled that plan to seek out Martin Luther King Sr., saying, quote, all Christians are my enemies, end quote, deciding that all black ministers were a menace to black people. That was kind of deep. Now, I'm gonna talk about Maya, Maya Angelou. I love Maya Angelou. I think everybody does. Starting with the first quarter representing Maya Angelou, I think it was last year during Black History Month that Maya was discussed on this podcast, Coming Out of the Kitchen. But Maya has a new accomplishment, so we're going to talk about her again. Maya Angelou is a celebrated writer, performer, and social activist. She was born Marguerite Annie Johnson on April 4, 1928 in St. Louis, Missouri. Maya has held many jobs in her lifetime, including fry cook, sex worker, nightclub performer, cast member in Porgy and Bess. Porgy and Bess is an English language opera which was first performed in Boston on September 30, 1935. Maya was a coordinator at Southern Christian Leadership Conference, a correspondent in Egypt and Ghana during the decolonization of Africa. Maya was an actress, writer, director, and producer of plays and movies and public television programs. In 1982, she was named the first Reynolds Professor of American Studies at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Active in civil rights movement, she worked with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Maya hit the lecture circuit, making around 80 appearances. In 1993, Maya recited her poem, quote, On the Pulse of Mourning, end quote, at the first inauguration of the former president, Bill Clinton. Maya Angelou is on the quarter this year. The American quarter. This year, 2022. Yeah, I tried to buy some so that I could... Since you're sitting down to help me with this podcast, I was going to present you with one, but they're not out yet. I mean, they're when not. When they come? They're not in circulation. I wonder when they will become. I don't know. You know, I work with two two banks on my day job, and um, I have pestered the bananas out of them trying to get those quarters, and they're just they just haven't circulated to Missouri yet. But as soon as I do, Mo, I'm going to get you a quarter. Okay, thank you. Um, and you have... Hattie McDaniel. A lot of us recognize that name as the maid Mammy on the film Gone with the Wind. 
Have you watched Gone with the Wind? Oh, several times. And I've read the book. It may be a generational thing. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot get through that movie. But, you cannot? No. But, I mean, I'm going to cut that out because this doesn't apply. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's okay. Hattie McDaniel was born June 10th, 1893 in Wichita, Kansas. She was the youngest of 13 children. Uh, she passed away October 26, 1952. She was 52, 59, excuse me, in Wooden Hills, uh, Los Angeles, California. She passed away from breast cancer. Ooh. She was a actress, a singer, and a comedian. And a lot of her siblings were in acting and singing and in comedy. She had a brother, I believe his name was Otis, which is why she went to Los Angeles. Hattie McDaniel played Mammy, the maid, uh, for Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. There was a lot of competition to win that role, and even First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt wrote to the film's producer, David O. Selznick, to ask that her own maid be given the part. Mm. Clark Gable recommended that the role be given to McDaniel. Uh, McDaniel didn't think she'd be chosen, but she went ahead and went to the audition in an authentic maid uniform of that time. Mm and won the part. She won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and became the first African-American to win an Oscar in 1939. The Lowe's Grand Theater in Atlanta, Georgia for the December 15th, 1939 premiere of Gone with the Wind. The producer, uh, David O. Selznick, asked uh, that McDaniel be permitted to attend but MGM advised him not to because of Georgia's segregation laws at that time. Clark Gable, who was a co-star in the movie Gone with the Wind, threatened to boycott that premiere unless McDaniel was allowed to attend. McDaniel convinced him to attend whether she went or not. She didn't get to go to the premiere in Atlanta, Georgia, but she did attend the film's Hollywood debut in December 28, 1939, and at Selznick's insistence, her picture was also featured in that program. She had to sit at a different table. It was a no blacks allowed, but she was allowed to attend as a favor, and she and her escort were required to sit at a segregated table for two at the far wall of the room. But her white agent, William Michael John, sat at the same table. The hotel had a strict no blacks policy, but allowed McDaniel in as a favor. It does not say who the favor was yeah. to. Yeah. Her discrimination continued after that awards ceremony as her white co-stars, co-stars went to a no blacks club where McDaniel was also denied entry. Another black woman did not win an Oscar again for 50 years, with Whoopi Goldberg winning Best Supporting Actress for her role in Ghost. What about Halle Berry? Well, she might have done it later, but... Let me... Let me are you done but, with... Are but you bet- done with Maddie? No. But between Hattie... There was 50 years between Hattie... Okay. 
and Whoopi Goldberg winning, there was a span of 50 years before another black woman won an Oscar. Right. Hattie McDaniel was a songwriter as well as a performer. She honed her songwriting skills while working with her brother Otis McDaniel's carnival company, a minstrel show. McDaniel and her sister Etta Goff launched an all-female minstrel show in 1914 called the McDaniel Sisters. What's a minstrel show? A minstrel show, also called the minstrelsy, was an American form of racist entertainment developed in the early 19th What? Early 19th century. Each show consisted of comic skits, variety acts, dancing, and music performances that depicted people, especially of African descent. The shows were performed mostly by white people in makeup or blackface for the purpose of playing the role of black people. There were also some African-American performers and black-only minstrel groups that formed and toured. Minstrel shows lampooned or depicted black people as dim-witted, lazy, buffoonish, superstitious, and happy-go-lucky. Oh, my gosh. And and she did that? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Minstrel shows emerged as brief burlesques and comic in the early 1830s in the northeastern states. They were developed into full-fledged form by the next decade. By 1848, blackface minstrel shows were the national art form, translating formal art such as opera into popular terms for a general audience. By the turn of the 20th century, the minstrel show enjoyed but a shadow of its former popularity, having been replaced for the most part by vaudeville. The form survived as professional entertainment until about 1910. Amateur performances continued until the 1960s in high school and local theaters. The genre has had a lasting legacy and influence and was featured in a television series as recently as the mid-1970s. Generally, as the civil rights movement progressed and gained acceptance, minstrelsy lost popularity. The typical minstrel performance followed a three-art structure. The troop first danced on the stage, then exchanged wisecracks and sang songs. The second part featured a variety of entertainments, including the pun-filled stump speech. The final act consisted of a slapstick musical plantation skit or a send-up of a popular play. Minstrel songs and sketches featured several stock characters, most popularly the slave and the dandy. These were further divided into sub-archetypes such as the Mammy, her counterpart, the old darkie, the provocative mulatto wench, and the black soldier. Minstrels claimed that their songs and dances were authentically black, although the extent of the black influence remains debated. Spirituals entered the repertoire in the 1870s, making the first undeniably black music to be used in minstrelsy. Blackface minstrels, which are the ones, the whites that painted mm-hmm. their faces, was the first theatrical form that was distinctly American. During, during the 1830s and 1840s, at the height of its popularity, it was at the epicenter of the American music industry. Ugh. For several decades, it provided the means through which white American whites viewed the black people. On one hand, it had strong racist aspects. On the other, it afforded white Americans more awareness, albeit distorted, of some aspects of black culture in America. Mm. 
Although the minstrel shows were extremely popular, being consistently packed with families from all walks of life and every ethnic group, they were also controversial. Integrationists decried them as falsely showing happy slaves, while at the same time making fun of them. Segregationists thought such shows were disrespectful of social norms as they portrayed runaway slaves with sympathy and would undermine slavery. So basically, McDaniel and her sister, sisters, were doing these minstrel shows. Um, they were doing it to make money because the brother had passed away. The carnival show had passed away, so they had formed their own all-female show. And they decided to do this to continue making money because it was a very popular type of show. Well, you know, and, and I hate this, you know... People, you have to make money to survive. Yes. And when you're put into a corner, you do or a whatever box, you have you to do. What you have yes. to do, and, and what being, you know you can do. You being know. a minstrel is much better than the oldest profession in yes, which is in, in our prostitution. World. Yes. So, kudos to her. But I mean, that's just sick. Yes, it is. Okay, so McDaniel in the 19 and 20s, mid 19 and 20s embarked on a radio career singing with the Melody Hounds on station KOA in Denver. From 1926 to 1929, she recorded many of her songs for OK Records and Paramount Records in Chicago. McDaniel recorded seven sessions, one in the summer of 1926 on the rare Kansas City label Merit, four sessions in Chicago for OK from late 1926 to late 1927, of the 10 sides recorded, only four were issued, and two sessions in Chicago for Paramount in March of 1929. In addition to acting, Hattie McDaniel recorded 16 blues sides between 1926 and 1929 and was a radio performer and television personality. She was the first black woman to sing on radio in the United, in the United States. Wait a minute, she made her own she made her own records? Yes. She recorded 16 blues songs. So, what else did Hattie McDaniel accomplish? Okay, other than her role in Gone with the Wind, for which she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, becoming the first African-American to win the Oscar, she has two stars on the walk, uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Two? Two. She was inducted into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame in 1975, and in 2006, she became the first black Oscar winner honored with a U.S. postage stamp. In 2010, she was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. In addition to acting, she recorded 16 blues sides between 1926 and 1929, was a radio performer and television personality. She was the first black woman to sing on radio in the United States. She, although she appeared in over 300 films, she received screen credits for only 83. you got to be kidding me. For only 83. She wanted to be buried in, what was it, Woodland Hills, California? 
She remained active on radio and television in her final years, becoming the first black actor to star in her own radio show with the comedy series Beulah. Beulah was a hit. She also starred in the television version of that show, Beulah, replacing Ethel Waters after the first seasons because Waters had apparently expressed concerns over stereotypes in the role. Mm. Beulah was a hit, however, and McDaniel earned 2000 a week. The show, however, was controversial. In 1951, the United States Army ceased broadcasting of Beulah in Asia because troops complained that the show perpetrated negative stereotypes of black men as shiftless and lazy and interfered with the ability of black troops to perform their mission. Wow. After filming only a handful of episodes, however, McDaniel learned that she had breast cancer. By the spring of 1952, she was too ill to work and was replaced by Louise Beavers. She wanted to be buried in Hollywood Cemetery on Santa Monica Boulevard. The owner of that cemetery refused to allow her to be buried there because at the time of McDaniel's death, the cemetery practiced racial segregation and would not accept the remains of black people for burial. Her second choice was Rosedale Cemetery, now known as Angeles Rosedale Cemetery, where she lies today. In 1999, Tyler Cassidy, the new owner of the Hollywood Cemetery, renamed the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, offered to have McDaniel reinterred there. Her family did not wish to disturb her remains and declined the offer. Instead, Hollywood Forever Cemetery built a cenotaph on the lawn overlooking its lake. It is one of Hollywood's most popular tourist attractions. That's amazing. She be her last will and testament of December 1951 bequeathed her Oscar for Gone with the Wind to Howard University, where she had been honored by the students with a luncheon after she had won her Oscar. And didn't we just mention that Howard University just received a bomb threat Mm -hmm. because it's a black, Mm -hmm. oh my Lord, have mercy. Very few white institutions in that day preserved black history. Mm -hmm. Historically, black colleges had been where such artifacts were placed. Despite evidence that McDaniel had earned an excellent income as an actress, her final estate was less than $10,000. The IRS claimed the estate owed more than 11000 in taxes. Mm. In the end, the probate court ordered all of her property, including her Oscar, be sold to pay off creditors. Years later, the Oscar turned up where McDaniel wanted it to be, Howard University, where, according to reports, it is displayed in a glass case in the university's drama department. However, it appears to have gone missing from Howard in the 1960s or 70s and has never been recovered. Oh, my word. I just think she was an amazing woman, but she accomplished so much in a time where women couldn't. Even white women couldn't accomplish some of this. She uh, She recorded songs. She was in a famous movie, won a supporting, an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. She's the first woman to sing on radio in the United States. First She's black woman or first, first woman? B- first woman. Uh, first black woman to have won an Oscar. She's on first black woman on the stamp. Oh, on the U.S. Postal Stamp? Yes. You know, how many... That's amazing. It's amazing. And she did all of this in less than 59 years. And, you know, I sit here and I think, I'm just trying to do a podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah. To to make people aware that in the United States of America, American women do not have equal rights in the U.S. Mm, Constitution. But I look as I researched these women that we're reporting on on this podcast. It's just amazing the feats that the they have accomplished. That they have a, yes. 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 And Hattie McDaniel was a big proponent of civil rights. Um, but like we had talked about before, you have to do what you have to do to, to survive. survive. After most of her family, because she was the youngest of 13, after most of them had passed away, she took these roles. And a lot of the colored people at the time were not happy with her oh, I'm sure. for aggressively pursuing roles and not rocking the Hollywood boat. Yeah. You know, um, they were, there were several people that I, I was reading in her autobiography that a lot of the Southern whites were not happy with Gone with the Wind and the way she portrayed the character because she talked back to the white mistress. But she was a proponent of civil rights and helping girls and women to better themselves, not just as black women, but as women in general. Yeah. You That's know, what I'm looking she for. She gave lots of donations and things to different activities that promoted black women, women. black girls, uh, equality issues across the board, men and women. She was 59 when she died, and look at all that she had accomplished. Jeez. Hattie McDaniel won an Oscar as a supporting actor. Best supporting actress. Best supporting actress. Mm -hmm. And here recently, it's been brought up into the to the news that Holly Berry became the first woman of color to win the Academy Award for Best Actress in 2002. But 20 years later, she remains the only black woman to have won the award. She says... Quote, I do feel completely heartbroken that there's no other woman standing next to me in 20 years, end quote. Again, she says, quote, I thought, like everybody else, that night meant a lot of things would change, she added. That there would be other women. I thought I would have the script truck back up to my front door and I'd have an opportunity to play any role I wanted. That didn't happen. No other woman is standing there, In quote. Barry spoke to T.J. Holmes, co-anchor, Good Morning America 3, What You Need to Know, for the special, quote, Screen Queens Rising, end quote, airing February 3rd. Over her career, Barry has played several iconic roles, including advertising Executive Angela Lewis in Boomerang, a Bond girl in Die Another Day, and Dorothy Dandridge, the first black woman to be nominated for the Best Actress Oscar in a biographical TV movie. She won the Academy Award for Best Actress playing Letitia Musgrove, a widowed waitress in a 2001 film called Monster Ball. Despite being disappointed that no other black woman has won the Academy's top award for actresses, Barry said that the awards are no longer how she measures success. Quote, when I look around and I see my brothers and sisters working and thriving and telling their own stories from their point of view, I'm proud of that, end quote. She said, quote, I see the movement forward and I think that 
and I think that night inspired so many of those people to dream those dreams, end quote. I have always been a fan of um, Halle Berry. I just think she's remarkable, and I think she blends well into any script that she's playing so that you feel like that she's actually that person in that. I, I well deserved what she has accomplished, and I'm just, I'm appalled that, you know, 20 years. Well, up until this date, is she the only black woman to have won yes. Best Actress? yes. In all of the Oscars history. Yes. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Oscars is coming up, and they've got three women that are going to host the Oscars show. Two of them are black, and one is white. Amy Schuler, Regina Hall, and Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes. I I love Wanda Sykes. I like her. I do, too. So, it'll be interesting. You know, I don't normally watch those kind of shows, but I think... With the with that lineup, I think I would want to kind of watch that and see how that comes down. I don't know Regina Hall. Regina Hall is an American actress. She rose to prominence for her role as Brenda Meeks in the comedy horror scary movie film series. She has since appeared in television series Allie McBeal, 2001 through 2002, Law and Order L.A. God, I'm a Law and Order junkie from 2010 to 2011. Grandfathered in 2016 and Black Monday 2019 through 2021. So Hattie McDaniel was the first woman to to be the first black woman as a United States postal stamp. Is that correct? And so I want to talk about Mary Edmona Lewis, a.k.a. Wildfire. (laughs) The United States Postal Service celebrated on January 26th 2022, The Life and Legacy of Edmona Lewis, the first African-American and Native American sculptor to earn international recognition as the 45th honoree in the Black Heritage Stamp series during a first-of-issue ceremony at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Dr. Joshua D. Collin, the chief retail and delivery official at the United States Postal Service states, Edmonia Lewis was a woman of great courage, talent, and perseverance who broke through gender, race, and class barriers. Wikipedia says Edmonia, aka Wildfire, born July 4th, 1844. She died September 17th, 1907 was born free in upstate New York. She was an American sculptor of mixed African-American and Native American. Wow. Her heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, Ojibwe heritage. Those are both Indian tribes. As such, she is the first sculptor to achieve national and then international prominence at the end of the 19th century when the Civil War... During the Civil War, she remained the only black woman artist who had participated in and been recognized to any extent by the American artistic mainstream. So she is the recipient of the 2022 United States Postal Service stamp in honor of Black History Month. That being said, I want to talk about Selma Hortiz Burke. She was born on December 31st, 1900 in North Carolina, the seventh of ten children 
of Reverend Neal and Mary Elizabeth Coalfield Burke. Her father worked on the railroads for extra income as well as the AME church minister. Selma attended a one-room surrogated schoolhouse, often playing with the riverbed clay near her home, saying, quote, it was there in 1907 that I discovered me, end quote. Selma's maternal grandmother, a painter, encouraged Selma's clay art. Her mother, however, thought she should pursue a financially secure career. After attending Winston-Salem University in the night 1924. She graduated from the St. Agnes Training School for Nurses in Raleigh. She married her childhood friend, Durant Woodward. However, he died less than a year later, so she moved to Harlem to work as a private nurse. While in New York, she took art classes, 1935, at the Sarah Lawrence College. Burke began teaching at the Harlem Community Arts Center. She worked for the Works Progress Administration and her bust of Booker T. Washington was given to Frederick Douglass High School, Manhattan in 1936. Selma traveled to Europe twice to study sculpture, 1933 through 1934 in Vienna and in, and in 1936 Paris. The onset of World War Two convinced Selma to return to the States. Here, she chose to work in a factory as a truck driver for the Naval Yard. 1940, Burke founded the Selma Burke School of Sculpture in New York City. 1941, Selma received the Master of Fine Arts from Columbia University. 1946, she opened the Selma Burke Art Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 1949, she married architect Herman Kobe, who died in 1955. Selma Burke died at 94 in 1995. Selma achieved so many accolades, but the thing that brings her up, whether you're looking for her or not, is her Franklin D. Roosevelt's face on the 10 cent dime. If you look close under FDR's likeness, you see the initials J. S. John Sinek. John Sinek, the U.S. Mint's chief engraver from 1925 to 1947. Selma had written to the White House requesting a live sketch session and it was accepted. FDR died prior to seeing the plaque, so Selma was of course upset to see a strong likeness of the portrait on the dime. Sinek denied it. Burke demanded an investigation. Instead, the FBI investigated Selma. One year after the dime was released, Sinek died. His son, however, sided with Selma, saying the likeness is too much like Selma's artwork. Selma was never given credit for the dime. So, you have one more prominent black woman for mm -hmm. Black Women's History Month. Let's Let's hear what you've got. Yes, I have Mary Eliza Mahoney. She was born in 1845 in Boston to freed blacks. She died 19, January 4th, 1926 at the age of 80. 
in Boston. Mary Eliza Mahoney knew she wanted to become a nurse in her teens, so she began working at the New England Hospital for Women and Children. The hospital was dedicated to providing health care only to women and their children. It was exceptional because it had an all-woman staff of physicians. Mahoney worked for 15 years in a variety of roles. She was janitor, cook, and washerwoman. She also had an opportunity to work as a nurse's aide, enabling her to learn much more about the nursing profession. She was admitted to the hospital's professional graduate school in 1878. She was 33 years old. Of the 42 students that entered the program that year, only four completed it. Mahoney graduated in 1879. She worked most of her career as a private care nurse. She became one of the first black members of the Nurses Associated Alumni of the United States and Canada. In 1908, she co-founded the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses. In 1920, Mahoney, who had spent most of her life fighting for equal rights for black people, especially women, became one of the first women in Boston to register to vote after the ratification of the 19th Amendment. She was the first black person to study and work as a professionally trained nurse in the United States. She was the first African-American to graduate from an American school of nursing. Mary Mahoney was inducted into the Nursing Hall of Fame in 1976 and the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993. Yay, I've got so, a lot of nurses in my family. <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, I do too. So the thing about coming out of the kitchen, the podcast, is that we wanted to talk about American women who still do not have equal rights under the United States Constitution. I think that by creating this podcast, it's kind of been a blessing because as we research stuff that we weren't taught in our history classes at school, we weren't taught none of this stuff, none of this. And so I'm amazed at how much we learn Mm -hmm. while we try to remind women in the United States of America, you don't have equal rights. Look at all the sacrifices and the struggles and the hurdles that the women before us went through to give us just the right to have this podcast. Mm-hmm. I want to finish up with one last, and it's a and it's a blackmail. I know it's women's podcast, but it's Black History Month, and we started with a black man. Let's end with a black man. Okay, here we go. The first black congressman, Representative Joseph H. Rainey, was born into slavery in 1832. Never formally educated, Rainey escaped to the British island colony of Bermuda. He returned to South Carolina in 1866. There, he helped found the state's Republican Party. In 1870, was elected to Congress, and in December he was sworn into office, replacing a lawmaker who had resigned. Rainey was re-elected four times, served during Reconstruction. He gave his first major speech in April 1871 in support of the coup, 
in support of the Ku Klux Klan Act, which expanded federal law enforcement powers in the South. During Reconstruction, Rainey served with 13 other African-American congressmen, all of them Republic. Constitution, Rainey said, was written to protect, quote, the humblest citizen without regard to rank, creed, or color, end quote. Rainey died of natural causes in 1887 from malaria. He was 55 years old. So, 135 years after the death of the first black congressman, Joseph H. Rainey was honored by having a room in the U.S. Capitol named for him. The room was used by the House Committee on Indian Affairs, of which Rainey had served. It is currently used by aides to Minority Whip Steve Scalise, and a plaque in his honor was placed outside of the room. All he got was a plaque and a room for the aides, for the aides who work for the elected officials in Congress. Does it say that the room is the Joseph Rainey room? Yeah, it does. He gave so much, and, you know, here we are in 2022, 135 years after Mr. Rainey has passed away. He got a room named in his honor in the United States Capitol, which is honorable. It's honorable. I'm glad that they, I'm glad that he's honored. I'm sorry it took so long. I think it's ridiculous. Because the more we do this podcast, Mo. And the more we research, how many times have we found people who have contributed so much, so much, either through intellect or art or medicine? Mm -hmm. How many times have we found people who have contributed so much to what we as individuals take for granted? Yeah, Yeah, we take take for granted. We We take for granted. Like the pacemaker, you know. Yeah. How many people do we know have a pacemaker? It was invented by a black man. Yes. But these women that have done so much as well, it's like I struggle with rather to keep going with this podcast because I know that so many people are like, ah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But then when I do the research, when I do the research to prepare for the podcast and I learn so much about so many people that contributed to this country that we enjoy, this lifestyle that we enjoy. So just, many of them are not really acknowledged. No. And the what gets me is that we weren't taught some of this. And unless you were well-read and researched this throughout your life, you don't know any know of this it. stuff. And, and to be no at our age now to go back and, like you said, doing some of this research... I'm humbled by a lot of these women, oh a lot of these men who forged the path forward and that allows us to have all of this technology, uh, wisdom, because there were forefathers, and a lot of them were people of color. And there were, there were white people that contributed as yes, well. Yes, as but much. But we are, we are focusing on Black History Month this month, so right. that's what... We're honoring Black History Month. Yes. So we are not dissing any of the non-colored Americans. 
who have contributed to so much. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. not dissing them. No, we are no, just no. it's Black History Month and let's pay respect. Let's pay respect. Homage. Yes. And 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 next month is Women's History <laughs> History Month. Yes, March is Women's History Month, isn't it? So we will be doing Women's History Month next month and then I if I'm not mistaken because I try to look this stuff up but memory is not always as great as it should be. Um, I think May is Asian Women Month. I would like so, to be a part of that. Well, I think I'm going to rope you into March and May. <laughs> and then I, yes. I, I know there's a month dedicated to Native American women. And oh my word, I, I so like want to sign I, up for that one. So I do too. We're yes. going to keep doing this. And then we're going to keep interviewing women and just hearing their stories. Because whether you were born in the 1800s, 1700s, 16, whatever, women have stories to tell. And that's what we're all about. Until we get equal rights in America under the United States Constitution, we'll just keep plugging through and doing this, sharing, sharing stories. I hope it's inspired other women, other people, not just women, but other people. Amen. To look up some of the history. If you live in this country, they're all a part of our history. We wouldn't Everyone be, that we've talked about, you know. We wouldn't be where we're to at honor. today if we no. didn't have history. No. And to recognize and honor those that come before. Yes, it's great to honor presidents and so on and such forth, you know. Groundhog's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's, it's the everyday person who has a dream to make life better. Not only for themselves, but for other people. Other people. And I think everybody that we, that we talked about today, it wasn't just about making sure their life was better, but they wanted to help the people around them too. Yes. We shall Shall overcome. We shall.